Hello everyone, this is Isabel Cortez, and welcome to another episode of Scary Stories for the Soul. The bond that we share with our pets is a special one. They're there for us when we're sad, when we're sick, when we're lonely, and for impromptu dance parties. Think about it. Who else is there for you at 3 a.m. when you have a complete emotional breakdown? Whether it's a dog or a cat or a ferret named Steve, pets are the best. They keep our therapy bills low and our spirits high. And speaking of spirits, have you ever noticed that sometimes your animal acts a little weird? They stare down an empty hallway for too long or start barking at a corner of the room even though there's nothing there? Or maybe they refuse to go into a specific room in your house, no matter how many treats or belly rubs you promise them. We can chalk this up to animals just being weird. Or we can ask ourselves an uncomfortable question. Can they see something that we can't? It is a widely accepted theory amongst pet owners that animals can sense when spirits are around. When we get an odd vibe from a room or a house, we think about the possibilities of the place being haunted, but for the most part, we try to rationalize it to ourselves. But when our animals pick up on that same vibe, it practically solidifies the fact that there is something unseen and supernatural lurking in the dark corners of our homes. There are a number of reasons why people might think that their pets can pick up on things that we can't. And while we all believe that our beloved companions are the most specialist and smartest good boy or girl in the world, there's an actual science behind it. Cats, for example, might be more susceptible to seeing spirits because of their advanced and heightened senses. The human eye can only see so much, and those senses are dulled down even more at night. Eventually, our eyes will adjust to the dark, but it's incomparable to the way that we see in a well-lit room. Cats have such advanced eyesight that they can see perfectly in the dark. When we are trapped in a dark room, our eyes will play tricks on us. Of movement in the shadowy corner of a room or the silhouette of what looks like a human can be written off as us just not being able to see properly. Cats can see perfectly with even the smallest amount of light and therefore they are able to see things that we can't So the next time that your precious fluff ball is looking at a spot just behind your back, don't laugh it off, because they might actually be looking deep into the eyes of something that you can't see. Cats can also hear six to eight times better than humans can. Have you ever thought you heard your name being called when you're all alone in a room? Or maybe heard a giggle or a laugh behind you as you make your way from the kitchen back to your room? Maybe you're hearing something, and maybe you're not. There's no real way to know. Things like electronic voice phenomena, or AVPs, are used as major pieces of evidence during ghost hunting investigations, but the results of these spirit recordings are constantly under scrutiny. The mind will hear what it wants to hear. Cats have such intense hearing that they can pick up on even the smallest sounds. They can hear things that our ears could never pick up. So when your cat is minding its own business and it suddenly pops its head up as if listening in on something, ask yourself, what can they hear that I can't? And since we're on the topic of our feline friends, we've all heard the myth that Egyptians used to worship cats, right? Well, that isn't 100% true, but the origin of this legend does have its roots in the supernatural. 
Rather than worshipping cats, the ancient Egyptians worshipped the god Bastet, who was the daughter of Ra, father of all creation, and Isis, the great mother and goddess of healing and magic. Bastet was first depicted as a lioness, but as time progressed, her visage formed into that of a domestic cat. She was revered as a dutiful mother and protector of the overall family unit. This veneration for Bastet led the ancient Egyptians to exalt cats and see them as something that could protect their families from all seen and unseen forces. Cats were given lavish funerals when they passed away, and many families chose to bury their beloved cats with the rest of the family, or in the same casket as their past family members, to ensure that the animal would continue to protect them once they passed into the afterlife. However, the murder or killing of a cat was a colossal crime, and so cats were not killed just so that they could be buried with recently deceased family members. Now, let's talk about dogs. Man's best friend has the same five senses that we all do. However, their senses are incredibly heightened, no matter how airheaded they sometimes may seem. Dogs can pick up slight changes in the environment that we might not be able to sense. Clairvoyants and those who consider themselves sensitive to supernatural activity can sense vibrational changes in houses or around people, but finding a legitimate psychic is hard. They are rare and far in between. The ability to sense changes in the environment is something that all dogs can do. This ability contributes to the belief that dogs can sense things before they happen, or at least before we as humans know that they're going to happen. It also adds to the idea that dogs can sense when a house is haunted, when a person is being followed by spirits, or when there are ghosts present in the area. It's a common fact that dogs can hear higher pitches in sound than humans can. The range of hearing for us as humans is between 20 hertz to 20 kilohertz. Even with the best of hearing, there are certain sounds that we don't even register. A dog's hearing starts at 64 hertz and can go up to about 44 kilohertz. A dog's sense of hearing is so advanced that they can hear seismic changes on the Earth's surface. That is why dogs act frightened and erratic minutes or even days before an earthquake. Much like their feline counterparts, this heightened sense of hearing can aid in a dog's ability to hear supernatural entities far better than we can. Has your dog ever stopped, perked its head up and started barking at a corner or a dark room? Have you ever heard what you thought was a whisper or a disembodied voice and then suddenly your beloved dog starts barking out of nowhere? They might be hearing the voice of someone who you can't see or barely hear. They might be alerting you to the sound of something that only they can hear. Dogs also have a heightened olfactory setting. 10,000 to 100,000 times more acute than that of humans. This helps them sniff out things like drugs, bombs, and even bodies. A dog's sense of smell is so strong that they can pick up a human scent with just the smallest amount of time sniffing that person's clothing. Rescue dogs and law enforcement dogs are incredibly talented and have an impressive success rate in their jobs. There are even dogs who have the ability to sniff out diseases like diabetes and cancer. In cases of demonic possession or activity, a scent comparable to that of sulfur or rotten meat can be smelled. 
Psychics and mediums can pick up on this scent almost immediately upon entering a home or meeting an afflicted person, but most other people can't. Dogs have such a sensitive sense of smell that they can pick up on those scents quickly, which is why dogs can sometimes smell a person or a home and become frightened and aggressive. A dog will smell a person, home, or other animal to see whether or not they are friend or foe. So next time your dog smells your friend's new house or new partner and immediately back away, ask yourselves what are they smelling that they don't trust. Animals are open to spiritual activity in ways that we aren't. As adults, we have been socially conditioned to make excuses for the supernatural things that we experience. We will rationalize strange noises, unexplained visions or apparitions, and odd smells. We don't want to be singled out as weirdos or freaks who think that they can see ghosts. Animals don't care. They aren't bogged down by societal norms and expectations. I might be inclined to write something off as a figment of my imagination if I visit a haunted house or think I see or sense something, but my pug won't. In an interview with Animal Planet, pet psychologist Marty Miller commented that both humans and animals have a sixth sense for the unexplainable but animals can tap into it better. She said, humans judge or deny what they're feeling. Dogs don't judge what is going on in the environment. While our minds start to rationalize what is happening, dogs don't do that. They feel the barometric pressure change and may react by shaking, panting, salivating, and feeling anxious, or they might not react at all. One of the most popular stories of an animal sensing supernatural phenomena is the supposed Amityville horror and what transpired between the Lutz family, their family dog Harry, and that dreadful house on Ocean Avenue. After George and Kathy Lutz moved into a home on 112 Ocean Avenue, they began to experience terrifying supernatural activity. The home was the site of a brutal murder in which Ronald DeFeo shot and killed his entire family in cold blood as they slept in their beds. DeFeo later testified in court that a demonic presence in the home had egged him into committing the murders. When the Lutzes moved in, one of the first things that they noticed was that their dog Harry, a Malamut Labrador mix, would refuse to go into certain rooms, bark at things unseen in the boathouse and throughout the home, and would become aggressive at random moments when in the home. In fact, Harry was able to single out the most haunted areas of the home, the basement, the boathouse, and the sewing room, almost immediately upon moving in. He sniffed out the rooms and became aggressive, barking and snapping at things in the rooms that no one could see. It was Harry's odd behavior that first alerted the Lutzes that there was something wrong with their home. The story you're about to hear is one of a woman who moved into what she thought was her dream home. That is until her four-legged best friend started behaving oddly. She would soon realize that she was sharing her home with a presence much more dangerous than she thought. Leighton stood outside of her new home and admired the view. When her friend Isaac told her that a house on his posh block had gone up for sale, she jumped at the opportunity. It was a beautiful, Tudor-style home with thatched windows and brick detailing. The inside was well-maintained with black oak wooden floors and a large kitchen. 
It had a living room and study downstairs with three bedrooms upstairs and a bathroom with a cloud bathtub. The space was much larger than she needed, but buying the home meant that she could finally provide a proper backyard for her two-year-old husky Nanook. Nanook was her best friend and the only child she ever planned on caring for, so she wanted to provide the best home for him. The only downside? The previous owner had died in the study. Isaac had informed her of the tragic accident and how the woman who had previously inhabited the home had died. Apparently, Maribel Knight, an elderly stage actress, had been a recluse for most of her twilight years. And so when she had a stroke and died in the study, no one found her for several days after the tragedy. The only thing that the people on the block knew about Maribel was that she despised animals. And not just dogs and cats, but all animals. She had gone so far as to call animal control on numerous occasions to have the birds in her front yard eradicated. But Leighton didn't mind moving into the home of such a controversial figure. She didn't even mind that Maribel had died of a stroke in the study. That was all in the past, and she was investing in her future. The moment that she turned the key and stepped into the home, she knew that she belonged. Nanook, on the other hand, couldn't agree less. He hung back on the front porch, sniffing the air inside and baring his teeth. "'What are you doing, weirdo?' she asked him, tugging on his leash. He resisted the pull and ground his feet into the worn-out doormat. "'Seriously, though, you are far too spoiled to survive on your own outdoors. Let's go,' she said, picking up the 50-pound husky and carrying him into the house newlywed-style. When his paws hit the floor, he made a beeline to the front door and Leighton had to slam it shut before he raced out. "'You're being weird. Cut it out,' she scolded him. Most of her furniture, appliances, and artwork had already been set up. She had hired a team of movers and bribed a few of her friends with beer and pizza to help her set up in the days before her official move-in date. All she really had to worry about was setting up her bedroom and transforming the study into her office. But before she did any of that, she wanted to set up Nanook's things so that he could feel more at ease in the new home. She ran upstairs and grabbed the box with his belongings, including his new plush bed and his favorite blanket. Nanook was a clingy dog, and Leighton wanted to find a room for him where they could be close. In the end, the most logical solution ended up being the study, since that's what there she spent most of her time being in. As she was setting up his things, Nanook finally moved from his spot at the front door and tentatively walked into the study. He made his way around the room, sniffing and pawing at the air, until he zeroed in on a corner of the room and began to bark. It was broad daylight out, and the light in the room was on, so Leighton could see that there was nothing there, but Nanook would not stop barking. "'What are you yelling at, boy?' she asked. She walked over to the corner he was barking at, hoping that he hadn't found a mouse or a spider, but as she walked closer, he got a hold of the sweater she had wrapped around her waist and began to pull her from the area. "'Dude, stop!' she said, taking off her sweater and backing away. He had never done something like that before, and she was immediately concerned with his behavior. She phoned Nanook's vet and asked her what to do. "'He's most likely feeling some anxiety about the move,' Dr. Connor said. "'He's been in the same space since he was a puppy, and huskies are already excitable breeds. He just needs some reassurance. Everything's going to be okay.' Let him sniff his stuff so that he can see that nothing's changed. Leighton did as she was told, but it didn't help much. After she had set up his things and let him sniff his bed, blanket, and toys, 
Nanook had retreated backwards from the room and plopped himself in front of the front door. He stayed there the entire day until bedtime came when he followed his owner upstairs and slept in her bed. The first night in her new home hadn't gone as Leighton had hoped. Not only had Nanook barked sporadically at her door throughout the night, but the house made too many noises for her to comfortably be able to sleep. The stairs creaked as if someone was walking up and down them. It would start at the bottom step, then work their way up until she could hear them almost at her bedroom door. They would go silent for a few seconds, then work their way back down. There was also the creaking happening above her in the attic, and the sound of knocking on her bedroom window. They were faint and sometimes spaced far in between, but every time she got comfortable and closed her eyes, the creaking or tapping would start up again, and she finally had to turn on a white noise machine to drown it all out. Unfortunately for her, the machine had also drowned out her alarm. A pressure on her chest was what finally woke her up. When she opened her eyes, she found a nook sitting on top of her chest, staring directly into her eyes. Her phone said that it was noon, and she groaned and moved him off. He huffed in frustration. Oh, I'm sorry, did I disturb you? She asked him sarcastically. But he wasn't paying any attention to her. A noise outside had caught his attention. Leighton heard it as well, a persistent knocking at her front door. She slipped her feet into her slippers and ran out of the bedroom. When she opened the front door, she was surprised to find a very nervous-looking middle-aged couple standing a few feet from her doorstep. The woman was holding a basket full of preserves and biscuits, a little too tightly. Hi, I'm so sorry. My dog was barking and I didn't hear you knocking. My name's Leighton. Oh, it's okay, the woman replied. My name's Janice and this is my husband Willard. We live right across the street. We just wanted to introduce ourselves. She pointed at the house directly across from Leighton's. A long silence stretched between them and Leighton was starting to feel uncomfortable. Are those for me? She asked hesitantly. Oh, goodness, Janice said with a laugh. She handed over the basket, but Leighton noticed that Willard was looking at something just behind her shoulder. She instinctively turned to look at the spot, but found that there was nothing there other than a nook. He was pawing and snapping at the air rapidly. I'm sorry, she said. He's definitely more beauty than brains. Willard finally met her eyes, but the look on his face was one of worry. Do you mind if we come in? He asked. We're part of the neighborhood watch and we have a packet of information we wanted to give you. Leighton wasn't planning on having guests over so soon, but her furniture was already visible and arranged, so she really didn't have any excuse to not let them in. Besides, she didn't want to be rude to the first neighbor she met. Sure, she said brightly. Willard and Janice turned out to be warm and entertaining people. Janice had a story for just about everything, and Willard was already offering to hook her up with a landscaping service. The only thing that Leighton didn't like was that Willard kept looking around her home. It was as if he was following something with his eyes, and every now and then she noticed that he would break out in goosebumps. Even stranger was that wherever Willard looked, Nanook would follow. They were both seeing something that she was not. When their visit was wrapping up, Janice looked to her husband as if pushing him to say something. Oh, yes, there's one more thing, Willard said. Leighton looked from Willard to his wife. I'm so sorry to mention this, but after last night, I feel like I have to say something. 
if this is about Nanook's barking, I am so sorry. He's just nervous in a new home. He's been acting so weird since we got here, and it's only been a day. I promise once he gets settled in, he'll quiet down. It was a grand lie, as huskies were prone to singing the song of their people whenever they felt like it. But she didn't want them to have a problem with her dog. Oh, no, sweetie, it's not about him, Willard said quickly. Did you know that the previous owner of this home, Maribel Knight, passed away inside? Leighton relaxed a little and laughed. Oh, yes, I was told. It doesn't bother me at all. It should, Willard replied, continuing to stare behind her. When she turned to see what he was seeing, she noticed that the door to the study was wide open, and Nanook was staring into the room. I know I closed that door last night, she thought to herself. There's no easy way to say this, so we're just going to come out and say it, Janice said. But my Willard here has a gift. He can see things that others can't. Things that regular people like you and me might only be able to see once in a blue moon. Things like what? Leighton hesitantly asked. Ghosts, Willard said suddenly. Oh god, I live across from weirdos, she thought. But then suddenly, the study door slammed shut and a nook came running towards her. She stood up quickly, but before she could go see what had caused the violent motion, Nanook was standing in front of her, blocking the distance between herself and the study with his body. He began to growl as the study door then opened again, slowly. Layden turned to look at Willard, then Janice, and then to Nanook. It was as if everyone was in on something that she wasn't. She sat back down on the sofa, only slightly acknowledging the cold breeze that seemed to pass right behind her. The woman who used to live here was, well, she wasn't very friendly, Janice said. Yes, I've heard, Leighton replied. Willard clasped his hands in front of him, suddenly very serious. It is safe to say that she was an unhappy person in life, and now she's an unhappy person in death. She doesn't like the fact that you moved into her house, and I'm afraid that she's going to continue to make your stay here more than unpleasant. How do you know this? Leighton asked. Because last night, I had a dream of her, here in your house, which was her house. She was pounding up the stairs, knocking on windows and doors, angry that you were here. A cold chill ran over Leighton as she remembered the odd noises that had kept her up all night. The day that she died, myself and Janice came to clear out some of her items that were left behind in the house, Willard continued. I saw her then, walking around the house, but because she had died so suddenly, I assumed she hadn't moved on yet. But then Janice got her fingers crushed in the window of the master bedroom. When I went to go and help her, I saw Miss Knight in the reflection of the glass. The thoughts that flooded into my mind were hers. She had done it on purpose, because Janice had come to move the last of her things out of her room. Then, the doors began to slam all around the house, and the scent of gas filled every room. We were sure the house would blow up at any second, so we ran out of the front door. Or at least, we tried. Right when we were about to step out of the front door, I saw Miss Knight again. She was standing in the middle of the living room, laughing at us. It was all a game to her. There was no gas. 
She was trying to get us out of her house. It was all too much for Leighton to take in at once. Ghosts in her house? No, not ghosts. Ghost. A ghost. The ghost of a bitter and angry woman who had lived alone and died alone. But what could she do to believe it? Could she really believe what she was hearing? As if on cue, the steps on the staircase began to creak, just like they had the night before. The creaking made it all the way up the stairs, and then there was silence, until they resumed again in the attic. Nanook repositioned his guard stance from in front of Leighton to the base of the stairs. His legs were straight and slightly forward, his hackles were raised as well as his tail, and his lips were curled so he could bare his teeth. It was as if he was waiting for something to come back down, and when it did, he would be ready to attack. Your dog Nanook? He senses her too. Dogs have incredibly heightened senses. They have exceptional hearing and sight, so they can pick up on things that regular people can't. He knows that she's here, and he knows that she means you both harm. Usually, spirits are confused and sad, so when a dog or a cat picks up their presence, they acknowledge them, but then move on. Nanook knows she's a threat. He's trying to protect you. Leighton looked over at her sweet boy, and her heart swelled with love. She didn't want to believe in ghosts, and until that very moment, she didn't. But as much as she liked to make fun of Nanook for being airheaded, she knew he was actually very smart. He had a great judge of character, too. If Nanook said that something was up, then something was up. And he had been trying to tell her all day yesterday and all night last night that something was wrong. She mentally kicked herself for dismissing his fears. What do I do? It's literally been 24 hours. She hasn't done anything to me other than scare the crap out of me just now. Janice dug through the welcome basket. From underneath the preserves, she pulled out a bundle of sage and a white candle carved with an intricate symbol. We came prepared, she said, noticing Leighton's surprised expression. She lit the sage with a pocket lighter and began spreading the smoke around the house. Willard then lit the candle and placed it on her fireplace mantle. Sage has been used for centuries to clear out negative spirits. This candle is carved with a rune that represents the banishment of violent spirits. I don't know if it'll fully get her out of here, but I'm hoping that because she only recently passed, it'll be enough. When Janice finished what she called smudging the house with sage, the couple left her with a few more bundles and advised her to complete the small ritual for as long as she felt unsafe in the home. The candle was to be burned until it was nothing but a stump. As they were leaving, Willard turned to look at her. Oh, and one last thing. Follow Nanook's lead. He'll be able to tell you if something's happening. And he did exactly that. After the smoke of the sage had cleared, Nanook went around and sniffed at all the rooms. It was as if he was assessing the rooms for any imminent threats. When he curled up on the couch, Leighton was satisfied that he hadn't found anything. She was still nervous, but as the day went on and the heat from the May sun streamed through the windows and warmed up her new home, she started to relax and feel at ease. She and Anouk had a calm dinner in front of the television and slipped into bed when they both fell asleep quickly. Right before drifting off, however, she could have sworn she heard footsteps in the attic. For a week, there is no activity in the home, 
Leighton and Anouk settled in nicely, with the giant husky even getting comfortable in his bed in the study while his owner worked. Willard and Janice had phoned her once to ensure that everything was still on the up and up, and when she confirmed that the sage had done its job, they were happy to hear that she was safe. Leighton was so confident that Miss Knight had left her home that on Friday night, a week to the day that she had moved in, she stopped lighting the white rune candle that Willard had given her and gifted the sage to a friend. Saturday morning was a completely different story. Leighton's alarm went off at 9am, its usual time, but for some reason she couldn't shake the sense that something was off. She walked around her room to ensure that the window was locked, then she checked the windows and doors around the entire house. Okay, I didn't forget to lock the doors, she thought. She then checked the stove to make sure the burners were off and there was no gas leak. As a last resort, she double-checked her wallet, her hidden wall safe, and her jewelry box to ensure that everything was where it needed to be. Her search was unsatisfactory. Nothing was off, but she felt off. And then, a realization hit her. Where's Nanook? The thought turned her blood into ice water. He hadn't been in the room, although he had slept on her bed. Her door had also been closed, so someone must have opened it for him to get out. Leighton sprinted to the backyard, but didn't find him there. She searched the study, the bathrooms, the spare rooms, and even the underneath to her bed, in case she had missed him. She frantically called Janice and Willard and asked if they had seen him. They hadn't, and they had been working on their front yard since 7 a.m., so they would have seen if he had slipped through the front door. We'll let the other neighbors know just in case they see him, Janice reassured her. And as she hung up the phone, her ears perked up. There was some sort of noise coming from upstairs. It sounded like scratching or maybe gnawing. Something was scratching at the woods somewhere in the house. The attic. Leighton took the stairs two at a time. The string for the ceiling door that led to the attic was dangling in front of her, and a little bit of blood stained the cord red. It was impossible for Nanook to be up there. The small ladder that she had used to get in there was folded and in her garage. But after she heard the scratches again, she got on her tiptoes and pulled the string, opening the door. In a blur of fur, Nanook came falling down through the door. Leighton caught him just in time and the dog landed on her. Aside from a small cut on his nose, he seemed unharmed. Leighton was furious. It had been Maribel night. She knew it. There was no other way for Nanook to get in the attic. All it took was one night of not lighting a candle for her to come back in full force and take her anger out on an innocent animal. She went to the living room, a shake and a nook in tow, and lit the candle. She called Janice and Willard as well to see if they could give her any more sage. The rest of the day, Leighton felt eyes on her from every room in the house. Nanook went back to refusing to enter the study, and that night, he slept with his leash on, her hand closed tightly around it. The candle hadn't done much. The following morning, Leighton found soot-covered hands along the walls of her house. They started at her door, covering every space of the white door, then trailed down the stairs and into the study. 
In the study, they covered all the walls, the rug in the room, and the new desk that she had bought. Part of her was thankful that nothing had happened to Nanook that time, but the hands were still horrific, long and elongated, far too distorted to belong to even the ghost of a woman. Frustrated, she went into the kitchen and grabbed some cleaning supplies, preparing her spend the entire day cleaning the ghostly mess. When she walked into the study, she saw the prints were gone. She ran up the stairs and noticed that the ones on the walls and her door were gone as well. Her mind was fracturing. They were there, and then they weren't. Back in the study, she double-checked to make sure that the handprints were really all gone, and they were. But she did find one thing, a message burned into the bottom of her new desk. Get out. You get out, Leighton yelled into the open space of the room, and leave my fucking dog alone. She packed an overnight bag and a small bag for Nanook and spent the rest of the day and night at her friend Isaac's house. Willard called Leighton in the middle of the night. She was quick to answer since the guest bedroom was directly beside Isaac's and she didn't want to wake him. Hello, she answered groggily. Leighton, Willard yelled into the phone. What? What happened? She asked, bewildered by the fright in his voice. Are you okay? Why is Nanook screaming like that? What do you mean? We're not even home. I'm at a friend's house. The line was silent for a while, and in those loaded moments of silence, Leighton looked around the guest bedroom. Nanook was gone. Leighton, you need to come back right now. Willard exclaimed. Nanook is in the house. He's in the house. And then frighteningly, the line went dead. It was impossible. Leighton bolted out of bed and quickly searched the house for her dog. Isaac woke up to the sound of slamming doors and helped in the search, but the husky was indeed gone. His house was only six houses away from Leighton's, and she didn't want to waste any time. She ran barefoot down the street in the dark back to her home. Nanook's barks and screams could be heard even from the outside. Layton went crashing into the locked front door, having forgotten her keys at Isaac's. Her shoulder throbbed, but she made it inside. Nanook was in the study, on his back, squealing and barking in pain. And Layton couldn't believe what she was seeing. The tall, shadowy figure of a thin woman wearing a long, pearl-colored nightgown. Her white hair hung low and thin over her face, obscuring some of her features. But through the hair, she could see shining black eyes, like obsidian, catching the moonlight. They peered down at Nanook with hatred, while the spirit's ghostly foot squeezed down on his chest. No! Leighton cried out and ran over to her dog. Her outburst momentarily distracted the spirit of Maribel Knight enough to release her hold on the dog. And Anuk, as if nothing had happened, leapt to his feet and sunk his teeth down on the spirit's ankle. Leighton thought that surely it would make no difference. What harm can a dog do to something that has no actual shape? But she was wrong. His sharp canines made direct contact with the right ankle and Maribel howled in pain. He let go and backed away from the spirit, teeth bared and prepared to strike again. Maribel whirled around and bore her black, pupilless eyes into Leighton's. For a moment, she was frozen in fear, 
and then she realized that she was actually frozen. She couldn't move a single limb. Maribel unhinged her jaw and let out a scream so high that Leighton felt it vibrate her bones. Thousands of tiny cuts appeared on Leighton's body. Nanook turned to see his owner in distress. He sensed the pain that she was in and let out a tiny cry, but then quickly moved his attention back to Maribel. He realized the spirit what was causing her pain, and he lunged at her again, this time catching her in the middle of the left calf and biting down hard. The action caused whatever spell Leighton was under to break, and she fell to the floor. She shook her limbs and watched as Nanook continued to bite into the ghost's leg, refusing to let go. Nanook! Leighton yelled. The husky immediately let go and ran over to his owner. He jumped into her arms and she caught him mid-air. As proud of him as she was, Leighton knew that her dog was no match for the evil that was Maribel Knight, and neither was she. She was just getting a hang of this ghost thing, and she had been very bad at trying to fight against it. A house was just a house. She had a good job. She could buy another, or at least rent an apartment. In the end, all she needed was Nanook and a guarantee that they would both be safe. And she didn't have that in that house. If Maribel Knight wanted it that bad, she could have it. With Nanook in her arms, Leighton ran out of the house. She frantically knocked on Willard and Janice's door, and when they let her in, she spent the remainder of the night watching over Nanook to make sure that he was okay. Willard watched from his living room window as the ghost of Maribel Knight watched his home from across the street. Leighton never stepped foot back in Maribel Knight's house. She paid professionals to move her furniture out and into her new apartment, and Janice offered to pack up her personal belongings for her with some psychic protection from Willard. They understood why she and Nanook could never go back, not even to pack boxes. There was no shame in wanting to protect yourself. Willard spread the rumor that the house was riddled with problems, and the neighborhood went as far as to openly be rude to people who tried to buy the house, just to ensure that no one would move back in there. One hot September night, Willard stepped back into the home as a latch-ditch effort and tried to cleanse Maribel out. After two hours of not returning home, Janice ventured in and found her husband unconscious on the study floor. He was rushed to the hospital, and that night, the beautiful Tudor home mysteriously burned to the ground. No investigation was ever conducted into the cause. How well do you trust your pet? Do you trust them enough to take their lead when they sense that something's wrong? Or do you chalk it up to good old-fashioned fuzzy brain? Whether we want to believe that our pets can sense supernatural things that we can't or not, it is scientifically proven that their senses are heightened to such a specific degree that they can view the world in a way that we can't. What they can and cannot see is a matter of speculation, and unfortunately for us, we can't exactly ask them. I guess we'll just have to trust them the next time that they refuse to walk into a dark room. Thank you for taking this haunted journey with me today. 
If you want to hear more myths, legends, and scary stories, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. Until next time.